Hey, welcome to episode number 29 of More Than Bread. My name is Dan. I'm a pastor, your Bible reader, and host for this podcast, More Than Bread. We call it More Than Bread because life is more than bread, more than stuff, more than our achievements. Life comes from every word that drops from the mouth of God. In this initial series of More Than Bread, we're making our way through the New Testament in 40 episodes. Very ambitious. And in this episode, we're going to read Paul's letter to the church at Galatia, called Galatians, probably written around 48 AD to the church that Paul started during his first missionary journey. We see all of that in the book of Acts. He's a bit critical of the church. There's division in the church, a Jewish kind of legalism surrounding circumcision has sprung up, but his solution is to draw them back to the gospel, draw them back to the cross. And that's why it has great value for us. There's a bit less scripture to read this time, so I'm going to pause for a moment on the front end as well as the back end. There's so many incredible truths, golden nuggets in this letter, but but I I just want to start with the cross. Paul's passion for the cross leads us to celebrate Christ crucified. And honestly, I I cringe a little bit putting those three words together, celebrate Christ crucified. It's a mysterious wonder that they could be put together and still have meaning. The cross was a form of torture that makes waterboarding look like a day at Disney. In Jesus' day, crucifixion was a daily event. Thousands upon thousands of people were crucified before and after Jesus. In fact, if if you lived in Jerusalem, chances were good that you knew someone who'd been crucified. So so think about it. Here's this struggling movement, persecuted, scattered, poor, doing anything they can to spread the good news of life, the good news of, of a kingdom of God here and now. They're doing anything they can to invite people to dive into the gospel with them. And the logo, the brand, the symbol they choose to be recognized by is is a symbol universally understood to represent pain, rejection, rejection death, failure, and humiliation. A cross. I mean, who in the world thought that was a good idea? Well, apparently Paul did. In Galatians 6.14, we'll read in a bit, he wrote, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's saying we celebrate Christ crucified. Jesus in the garden, sweating drops of blood, groaning, the scourging, beaten, black eye, split lip, ridicule. A crown of thorns pushed down upon his head. The blood begins to drip, spit expelled upon his face. He carries this crossbeam through town to a garbage dump called Golgotha. Shoved to the ground, arms stretched across the beams. As you hear the nails driven into his wrists, celebrate Christ crucified. Lifted up for all to see. And then the sin descends upon him like a black cloud. All the physical suffering in the world could not compare to the inner pain, the disgust, despair that that comes as the sins of the world, past, present, and future, settle upon his soul. That's what he's doing on the cross. He takes our sin upon himself. Celebrate Christ crucified. In fact, we don't just celebrate, we boast. Ask yourself the question, what do I boast about? I had a boasting problem when I was a kid. When I say boasting problem, we're usually thinking of prideful people bragging about their own achievements or abilities or stuff. The biblical term for boasting has some of that sense of vanity and pride, but it also merely refers to confidence. So when a person boasts, they're expressing a confidence in something. When I say that I had a boasting problem, I'm not saying that I had a problem boasting. I was actually pretty good at boasting. 
My problem was that I was boasting in the wrong stuff. I thought I was boastworthy. I thought I was the greatest football player. I was the smartest, the best looking. And I know some of you are thinking, I don't know, I've seen his senior pictures. If he thought he was the best looking, he definitely wasn't the smartest. But my confidence was in myself until I started trying to be a good Christian. I failed so many times I got tired of telling God sorry. Then I went to college. When I said I was the greatest, the smartest, and the best, did I mention that I grew up on a farm outside of a town with a population of about 100, played nine-man football, and graduated first or maybe second in a class of 28? I got to college and I found out that I had a boasting problem because it became painfully clear that I wasn't the smartest or the best at anything. All I had was my looks. Can I tell you that I think one of God's number one priorities in my life since that time I was about a junior in high school, is that he's been in the process of showing me that when I place my confidence in me, that I have a boasting problem. May I never boast, Paul said, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, may I never place my confidence in anything other than the cross of Christ. So what does it look like for us to boast only in the cross? At a passion gathering in May of 2000, John Piper said these words. They've stuck with me ever since I heard them. He said, you don't have to know a lot of things for your life to make a lasting difference in the world, but you do have to know the few great things that matter and then be willing to live for them and die for them. You don't have to have a high IQ or even EQ. You don't have to have good looks or riches. You don't have to come from a fine family or go to a fine school. You have to know a few great, majestic, unchanging, simple, glorious things and be set on fire by them. Paul is simply saying, I want your life to be set on fire by the cross and the message of the cross. That Jesus died in our place. And when he died in our place, because he was the spotless lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice, he gave us victory over sin and death. So keep that in mind as we dive into Galatians, the letter to the church of Galatia. Chapters 1 through 6, that's the whole, whole thing. And I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Galatians chapter 1. Paul writes, this letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. I'm shocked that you're turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You're following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again what we've said before. If anyone preaches any other good news, that word is the gospel, any other gospel, good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. 
Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source. No one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. And and you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. And then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Now, before I go any further, just realize that when he talks about going away into Arabia and later return to the city of Damascus, what we don't often realize is that after Paul's Damascus call, his his revelation of Jesus and Ananias coming saying, you know, God wants you, God has chosen you and, and all of that, Paul went away for a, a number of years. And we believe that while he was away for those years, he was he, he was soaking himself in the in the scriptures to understand who Jesus was and how he applied to the scriptures. He he was being taught and equipped and growing during that time. Verse 18, then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter and I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met at that time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I am writing to you is not a lie. After that visit, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Cilicia And still the churches in Christ that are in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was that people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Galatians chapter 2. Then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas. And Titus came along too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. And while I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and and shared with them the message I'd been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. And they supported me, did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. Even that question came up only because of some so-called believers there False ones, really, who were secretly brought in. They, they sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations. But we, refu- we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. And the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, Their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favorites. Instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, James, Peter, and John, who are known as the pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I've always been eager to do. Before I go on, just realize, see here, that I just think, I love that, that initial phrase. Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor. 
I mean, this this passion that Jesus had for people living in the margins, we saw in the Gospels, it, it continues on in the church and in Peter, James, and John, and Paul, and the leaders of the church. Make sure that you keep on helping the poor. But, verse 11, when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised, but afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. And as a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. Even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. Let me say that again, verse 16. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. My words, this is how we get right with God. (laughs) Not by working harder, but by surrendering more, by faith in Christ. Verse 16, and we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we're found guilty because we've abandoned the law. Would that mean that Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law that I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, if if there are any uh, verses to memorize in Scripture, this is one of them. Verse 20 of Galatians 2. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 21, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Galatians chapter 3. O foolish Galatians, Who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit... Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. And what's more, the scriptures looked forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago 
when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. But those who depend on the law to make themselves right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say it's through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. Before I go on, just keep diving in, digging in, you know, opening up your heart and your mind to these two different paths that Paul continues to lay out, the way of faith and the way of the law. If, if we're going to be right with God by living right and doing right and being perfect, we'll never get there. But if we're going to do it by believing in Jesus and receiving the gift of life that he gives us, we're already there. Verse 13, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Though Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham, so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child. And that, of course, means Christ. This is what I'm trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins, but the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. My words, that's Jesus, right? The law was designed to last until the coming of the child who was promised. Continuing in verse 9, God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement, but God, who was one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. For there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Paul says before we go on to Galatians 4 that 
No one is, is better or, or greater or of more value than another. No longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ. We've put on new clothes, the clothes of Christ, the way of faith versus the way of the law. Galatians chapter 4. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than the slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came... God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Now, my words, before we go, go further, how did, how did Jesus, God sent Jesus to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. How did he buy freedom for us? Our freedom was bought by the gift of his life on the cross. And what happens when, when we accept that gift, when, when we exercise faith in Christ, we become his children. He adopts us as his very own children. The cross is, is like the signing of our adoption papers. Verse 6, And because we are his children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba. Uh, that word, my word, is, is like the word Daddy. Abba, Father, now you are no longer a slave but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You're trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons of years I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. For I become like you Gentiles, free from these laws. You did not mistreat me when I first preached to you. Surely you remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news. But even though my condition tempted you to reject me, you did not despise me or turn me away. No, you, you took me in and cared for me as though I were an angel from God or even Christ Jesus himself. Where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? I'm sure you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if it had been possible. Have I now become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? Those false teachers are so eager to win your favor, but their intentions are not good. They're trying to shut you off from me so that you will pay attention only to them. If someone is eager to do good things for you, that's all right, but let them do it all the time, not just when I'm with you. Oh, my dear children, I feel as though I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. I wish I were with you right now so I could change my tone, but at this distance, I don't know how else to help you. Tell me, you, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise, but the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. 
The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where people received the law that enslaved them. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia, because she and her children live in slavery to the law. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She's the free woman, and she's our mother. As Isaiah said, Rejoice, O childless woman, you have never given birth. Break into a joyful shout, you who have never been in labor, for the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. And you, dear brothers and sisters, you are children of the promise, just like Isaac, but you're now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law, just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. But what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. So dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. Before I go on to Galatians 5, just hear that again. The way of faith versus the way of the law. There's freedom in the way of of faith and there's slavery in the way of the law. Galatians chapter 5. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you're trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you've been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. Now, before I go any further into verse 5, let let me just make a distinction here. When when Paul talks about keeping the law, for example, here in Galatians, he's, he's not talking about the Ten Commandments. He's not talking about the moral law of God. He's talking about the ceremonial law, the, the religious law, keeping um, the religious traditions, the sacrifices, and, and circumcision. Th- those were all part of the religious law. Um, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not, ste- thou shalt not steal. Those were part of the moral law. Paul's not saying get rid of the moral law. He's saying all of these rituals, all the religious cer- uh, ceremonial parts of the law, we're not under those anymore. We don't do those in order to find life. Verse 5. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there's no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. Let me say that again. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. Verse 7, you are running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he's the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I'm trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who's been confusing you. Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say I do, why am I still being persecuted? If, if I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. Before I go on, I love those verses, verse 13, 14, and 15. We've been given freedom, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. The whole law is summed up in this one command. You've heard it over and over and over again. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Verse 16, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you're directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful natures, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit, my words, listen to this. This is so key. Hear this. Let these words soak into your heart. Verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another. Or be jealous of one another. Galatians chapter 6. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Oh my goodness, I need to read that again. How much we need to hear this in the church today. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back into the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. My words, this is, this is the one verse, there are many others, but this is a verse that, that obliterates the cancel culture, obliterates the cancel culture. Gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Verse 2, share each other's burdens and in this way they, you obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work and then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else for we are each responsible for our own conduct. Those who taught the word of God should provide for their those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time. We will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those of the family of faith. 
Notice what large letters I use, Paul writes in verse 11, as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. Those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. And even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. They only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether we've been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we've been transformed into a new creation. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. From now on, don't let anyone trouble me with these things, for I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus Dear brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Ah, Before I go on to the next part of pausing, I just need to read those words for us one more time. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. As I said earlier, that boasting is a confidence. May I never place my confidence in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus was a seed planter, a man with great courage, patience, faith, and love, a man who loved to serve, and he found great joy in producing the kind of fruit in the lives of the people around him, the the kind of fruit that would turn the world upside down. In fact, at one point he said, one of the marks of my disciples, those who follow me, is that like me, they will bear much fruit. So for a moment, I just want you to imagine the scene as Jesus sits with his disciples His death on the cross and his awesome victory over death already accomplished. It's his trumpet call of the revolution of life. And his disciples are eager to move forward and plant seeds, seeds that will produce fruit in other people, seeds that will bring life. But Jesus says, wait, you're not ready yet. Something is missing. You want to change the world, but first I have to change you. You want to start a revolution in Jerusalem. It starts with a revolution of your soul. You want to plant seeds But it has to come from within, for there has to be fruit in your heart. So wait. In Acts 1, 4 through 8, he said, Wait for the promise of the Father, which you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He's saying something is going to happen. You're almost there. You've been with me. You've understood my teachings. You've caught my vision. But wait. There's something more. I'm going to change you. I'm going to plant the seeds of my spirit within you and you will receive power. What kind of power? Power for what? Jesus says, I will give you innate ability. That's what this word dunamis means. The Greek word dunamis has this idea of innate ability. I'll give you an innate ability, power to be my witnesses. I'll give you an innate ability, power to live like me. I'll give you an innate ability, power to plant seeds that will bring forth much fruit. In other words, I will change, literally change your soul. When you receive the Spirit and power comes upon you, it will lead to nothing less than a revolution of your soul. And the revolution will start with freedom. (laughs) You know, we humans have an incredible passion for freedom, don't we? From those first steps of an infant to the driver's permit at age 16 to saving for retirement, financial freedom. But here's the problem. Too often the things we run to in our freedom end up being the prisons that enslave us. 
And the Bible becomes a symbol of repression, archaic rules and limitations. We got to be free. But sin just creates the illusion of freedom. Sin beckons us to find freedom from God by serving ourselves when we can only find freedom in God serving others. Listen to what Paul writes in Galatians 5, 13 through 15 again. For you have been called to live in freedom, not freedom to satisfy your sinful nature, but freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor like you love yourself. But if instead of showing love among yourselves, you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out, Paul said. Beware of destroying one another. Can I point you in the direction of life which will bring you your greatest misery? (laughs) Just believe and live as though life is all about you. Listen to me. It's not about you. Even your freedom is not about you. For you've been called to live in freedom, not freedom to satisfy you, but freedom to serve one another in love. Free to live beyond yourself and love others. This is the revolution of the soul. When we begin to live beyond ourselves and love others, it's nothing less than a revolution of the soul and it will start a transformation in our communities. Paul calls it walking by the Spirit. In verse 16 he says, But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are, are opposed to the desires of the Spirit. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And then he goes on and gives that list of the works of the flesh, immorality, impurity, jealousy, fits of anger, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like that. Part of the path to freedom is is putting to death certain passions. Paul calls them desires of the flesh. What they are is empty passions, but it's not enough to kill one set of passions. God doesn't want us to live passionless lives. God wants to set us free from empty passions so that our hearts can be filled with the desires of the Spirit. And what does Paul say those are? But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires and live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. You will receive power, Jesus said, the innate ability to be my witnesses for the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. So just ponder this question as I close. What would my life look like if these seeds were planted in my heart? Some of you think, well, I would become a nice person. No, no, that's an issue word. (laughs) Oh, see the nice Christian. No, when the fruit of the Spirit transforms your soul, you don't become nice. You become a revolutionary. You become someone who turns the world upside down. Some will love you, some will hate you, but everyone will have to choose sides. You will be prophetically political and religiously incorrect. When these seeds get planted in the depths of your soul, when you love something or someone more than you love yourself, you'll become courageous. When you have a joy that circumstances cannot snuff out, you will have an attitude that cannot be turned. When you have a patient endurance that gives you supernatural tenacity, When there is a gentleness that gives you the strength to never be offended. When there's goodness and kindness. Oh my goodness. You will be an unstoppable force for good. Let me pray for you. Father God, I pray that you would fill us again and again more and more with your spirit. Would you pour your spirit out upon us? I pray that for each and every person listening to this, that that the fruit of the spirit would be evident in our lives. That that, that we would find the freedom, not for ourselves, to serve ourselves because it's about us, but the freedom 
to serve others because it's about them and it's about you. God, may our lives be characterized by the fruit of the Spirit, by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. God, so that that we become an unstoppable force for good. Jesus, thank you for the cross. What an amazing gift you have given to us. May it change us completely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.